Welcome, friend, and thanks for allowing me to join you today. Well, I have good news. After working with resort management and their contract medical team, we have a plan approved to resume our chapel worship services next Sunday, June 7th. I told you that we would do this as soon as possible and as safely as possible. We've had Force Hall cleaned in order to present a safe environment, and we've come up with some protocols to ensure that everyone stays healthy. Things will not be the same as before, so in the next couple of days, we'll be putting some information on our Facebook page as well as our website regarding the resumption of services. For now, I will tell you that we will have one service at 9 a.m. We would ask that you not attend if you experience any symptoms of the virus or haven't felt well in the past 14 days. We will have chairs set up so as to ensure physical distancing while allowing you to sit with your family or your social circle. Face coverings will be encouraged but optional. We ask that you please respect each other's individual decisions regarding this. A lot of work has been done to ensure everybody's safety and our ability to continue will depend upon maintaining a safe environment. So we need everyone's cooperation. If you have any questions after we post the information online, please feel free to send them to me. Now let's get to today's teaching. Over the weeks since Easter, we've been looking at the events that transpired afterward, particularly the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. We looked at Luke's account of the disciples who met Jesus on the Emmaus Road. We then went to John's Gospel where we considered Jesus' appearances to the disciples in the upper room, first without Thomas and later with him. John then took us to Galilee where we saw the miraculous catch of fish and seven of the disciples, including Peter and John, enjoying breakfast on the beach with Jesus. John then told us about Jesus' restoration of Peter where we saw the importance of relationship. We looked at the final words of, of John's gospel and, and Jesus' call to follow me, a command which he gave 23 times. Last week, we looked at the ascension of Jesus. And if you'll recall, Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 3, tells us this. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It continues in verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so, after Jesus ascended to the heavens, to the disciples, including Peter, returned to Jerusalem and they continued to meet together, devoting themselves to prayer and waiting as Jesus had instructed them to. I'd like to share a story with you. One day, an Amish family visited a mall in a big city, something that they had never done before. The family split up into small groups and, and moved about the mall, being amazed by almost everything they saw. The father and one of his sons were especially taken back by two shiny silver walls that could move apart and back together again. The boy asked his father, what is that father? The father responded, son, I don't know. I've never seen anything like that in my life. 
While the boy and his father were watching the shiny silver walls, an elderly lady in a wheelchair rolled up to the moving walls and pressed a button. The walls opened and the lady rolled between them and into a small room. The walls closed and the boy and his father watched small circles of lights with numbers above the walls light up. They continued to watch the circles light up in the reverse direction. As a bell rang, the walls opened up and they were amazed when a beautiful young woman stepped out. The father said to his son, quick, go get your mother. <laughs> now, don't you wish that there was an elevator that could cause whatever kind of transformation we wanted? We could step in as we are and the doors would close and, and, and then when the doors opened, we could step out the way that we wanted to be. Well, transformation is something that most of us are looking for in our lives in many areas, including physically, relationally, occupationally, financially, emotionally, and, and spiritually. We've all seen those, those advertisements with the before and after pictures, and of course, I'm sure they're true and accurate, right? We're suckers when a product is advertised as new and improved. Wow, I better buy it now because it's new and it's improved. Well, today I want us to look at a change, a, a transformation in the life of a man with which we are very familiar. As we've looked at the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus for the past few weeks, the, the supporting character other than Jesus is Peter. I think we have gotten to know Peter pretty well. We've witnessed Peter's strengths and, and weaknesses, and, and I think we've seen his personality and his tendencies. And today we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, and as we look at this, we're going to see a transformed Peter. And we're going to look and we're going to discover what made the difference in Peter's life. Now remember, Jesus was crucified on the day before and resurrected on the day after the Passover Sabbath. Following the resurrection, Jesus made appearances to his disciples for 40 days. And then they watched as Jesus ascended into heaven to return the same day, the same way someday. This brings us to today's scripture, which occurs on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, 50 days after the Passover. So there was a 10-day period, about a week and a half, between the time the disciples last saw Jesus ascend into heaven and when the promised Holy Spirit came upon them. They were sheltering in place together, as it was, you know, waiting, just like we've been waiting. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, Peter and the apostles had no idea that it would be that day. Now, Pentecost was the Greek name given to the Jewish harvest festival of Shavuot, or the Feast of Weeks. And it was a festival that celebrated the grain harvest. Historically speaking, the festival was celebrated 50 days after the Exodus, which began the first Passover. And Pentecost was one of the three Jewish pilgrim feasts or festivals where Jews travel from all over the world to Jerusalem to celebrate. The other two were the Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles. And that's why there's so many people from around the world that were in Jerusalem on Pentecost that day. Let's see how the Bible describes what happened. In Acts chapter 2 beginning at verse 1 it says this, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. 
Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in their own native tongue? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to, Jeru to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, we don't have time to go over all that Peter said in his sermon that day, and we're going to look at that another time. But it was obvious that this is a changed, a transformed, a new and improved Peter. You see, after the crucifix, but before Pentecost, Peter and the other disciples were scared to death to be associated with Jesus or to tell others about Jesus. Doing so was a, a good way to get into serious trouble. And as a result, when they met together, they met together behind locked doors. But in contrast to that, after they received the Holy Spirit in such a powerful way, they were emboldened to publicly proclaim the gospel message. And from that moment on, Peter did not just or people did not just hear the good news of Jesus, but they were drawn to him by the witnessing, the witnessing of the radical transformation this message had in the lives of the disciples, chief of whom was Peter. This is clearly a new and improved Peter. This is the kind of rock that Jesus had in mind when he renamed Simon Peter the Rock. Peter had moved from, from confusion to understanding. He'd moved from fear to confidence. He'd moved from discouragement to determination. Well, what was it that transform, transformed Peter and the other disciples? It was the power of the Holy Spirit that was now in them. Now, we might be tempted to say, well, okay, that was, that was them. They were apostles. But, but, but what does that have to do with me? Well, the good news, my friend, is that the same Spirit who came to live in them now also lives in you and me and every other Christ follower. While Jesus was still ministering here in the flesh with his disciples, he taught about the Holy Spirit who would later come and dwell inside his people. In John chapter 7, the Bible records Jesus saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And it continues and says, By this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were, were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So the Spirit is, is like living or, or flowing water that flows in us and from us 
And that is a powerful thing. In John chapter 14, Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Continuing in verse 35 or 25, he says this, All this I have spoken while still with you, the but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So we learn from these verses that the Spirit is with us and is in us forever and that he will help us. He will help us to know the truth. In John chapter 16, Jesus continued teaching about the Spirit. He says this, But I tell you the truth. It is good for you that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. And in verse 13, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. So here we learn that the Spirit could not come unless Jesus went. But when the Spirit comes, he will guide us into all truth. He will convict us of sin, and he will glorify Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit lives in us to teach us, to empower us, to transform us. But the Spirit will not act against our will. Just like the power steering and, and power brakes on our cars are there to assist us to make steering and braking easier, so the Holy Spirit is here to make our Christian walk and growth possible. But just like the power steering and the power brakes only work when we start the process of turning or braking, the Spirit waits for us to make the first moves to think and to do the right things. The Holy Spirit will not take over our lives, take over our, our free will. He will not make us to do the good that we don't want to do or keep us from doing the bad that we want to do. The Holy Spirit is, is sensitive and, and can be grieved or, or frustrated. When a Christian is not walking according to the Spirit and is living in disobedience day after day, the Holy Spirit within them is grieved, and they become hardened to the Spirit's efforts to guide them and to convict them. We can override the Spirit's authority and power, and we can do our own thing. But when we do, transformation into the likeness of Christ will be hindered, inhibited, and prevented. On the other hand, when we walk with the Spirit, when we follow the lead of the Spirit, and we keep in step with the Spirit, then we will grow into the likeness of Christ, and we will be useful servants in God's kingdom. This is the daily challenge for you and for me, my friend. I'm thankful that Peter allowed the Spirit to bring transformation to his life. And the question I have for you today, is he transforming your life? Is the Holy Spirit indwelling you? Are you walking with him? Are you allowing him to assist you and to guide you? and to lead you. Amen. Well, I thank you again for joining here today. 
And I ask you, don't forget to check back uh, regarding the, the resumption of services next week. And remember, share Jesus whenever you can. Use words if necessary. God bless you.